All right, so we'll, we'll just start there. I'm going to jump in uh, with a word of prayer, and then uh, we've got a couple things we need to cover today. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for these men. Uh, Lord, I thank you for a good crowd this morning. I just pray that, Lord, by your spirit, <clears throat> we will hear your voice speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, I've been going over the characteristics of a healthy, of healthy men, and it comes from a message that I preached on Father's Day, talking about what fathers ought to possess, what men ought to possess, what we ought to have, uh, these innate traits that we ought to tap into that define us, one, as men, and two, as fathers. And if, you've, if you don't have children today, just know that one day maybe you will. And if you are too old to have children, never had children, then you do have children. I mean, if you're a member of the church, you are, are to grow up and be a church father. So, and a father to, to this country in many ways. I mean, not just, not just the church, but in your jobs and your professions and that type of thing. We're, we're to be raised up. We're to be men of God. We're to stand firm in the faith of God, regardless of what the culture's doing, because that's how we influence. So today you're going to hear about that. I'm going to be talking about leadership today and the importance of leadership. Now there's a thousand books you can buy right down the street here on leadership. You can go to uh, John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable, I like to say slash refutable laws of leadership. Right, some of you have read John Maxwell stuff, and and there's some good stuff there. I mean, no doubt the guy can just pin some things that uh, we kind of innately know, but he can put them into words. Uh, a lot of lot of great material out there on leadership today. I'm going to look at a couple ways to lead, and I want you to see kind of how Jesus led here. So uh, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, then we'll jump in here. Father God, once again, I just pray, Father, that your Spirit would wake us up this morning. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Uh, Lord, I, I just feel like there's an imperative word that needs to go forth in Jesus' name. Amen. So open your Bibles up with me to John, or Luke chapter 14. Because there's two things I want to see in, in Luke chapter 14. One, I want us to see how Jesus led. And the other thing, what he tells us about being led. And then he's going to mention a disciple. And we're going to talk about discipleship with leadership this morning so he kind of ties it all together here and it's it's pretty tough to hear this the way he says it. It, it this is Luke chapter 14 verse 25 large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them he said if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother his wife and his children his brothers and sisters yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple and if anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me he cannot be my disciple so uh Jesus kind of he just pours it out here. He says, hey, you're going to, to lay everything down to be my disciple. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. When Jesus shows up and there's a large crowd, uh, he, he, wants, he tends to narrow that crowd a little bit. He tends to throw it out there because he's a leader. And that's kind of what leaders do. I'm not saying that they always uh, cut and dry. Matter of fact, if, if you're not a leader, a, a good way to define yourself or to wonder or maybe to question what a leader is, do I have the ability to lead, is turn around and see if anyone's following all right. If no one's following, you're probably not leading. Now, now uh, you might be leading yourself, and we're going to talk about that. But uh, I know the next thing on our list was Lifter, the list that I gave you on Father's Day. But I'm not going to spend any time on Lifter, and I'm going to tell you why. Because it comes right after Encourager, what we spoke about last week. Lifter and Encourager are pretty close to the same thing. Everyone get that? So we encourage our children. We lift our children uh, we bring them up. So I just wanted to move on. So today I'm, I'm jumping in here with leadership. That's the next thing on the list. So let's talk about this real quick. 
Jesus here knows who he is. Of course, he's the son of God, and that kind of helps a little. All right, I'm not going to lie to you. If you know you're the son of God and you can, uh, you can calm the storm, you know, I mean, there's no doubt you're going to leave. That's just the way it's going to be. But he's talking about being a disciple here. And he says, hey, if you're going to be a disciple, here's the thing. It's going to get pretty cut and dry. And you're going to lead. And there are going to be some that fall away. And there are going to be some that aren't willing to go the extra mile. Uh, he uses some strong words here, or we do in the Greek. Let me say that in the Greek, he uses strong words. And in the English, it comes out as hate. But just looking at this, what's, what does he mean by hate his father and mother, his wife? And I thought we were supposed to honor our father and mother, not hate our father and mother. So Jesus is, and, and, and by the way, Jesus also says to, you know, you, you, you need to remember that commandment of love and honor your father and mother. So what's he doing here? What, why is he twisting it so tight? There's a couple of things. One is he's been at a Pharisee's house. And he's left that Pharisee's house. He's getting chastised by the religious, if you will. And the religious are just a bunch of rule keepers. And they're not worried about, they're not worried about, uh, I, I, I need to be careful here. They're worried about keeping the rules. They're not necessarily worried about following the Messiah. And so he's, he's saying, hey, look, <laughs> you're going to have to be willing to walk away from everything. Uh, your life is not your own. Your life belongs to the one who created you, and you are simply a steward of that. And in doing so, it's going to cause division. It causes division. I mean, there's, he talks about it bringing a sword. And so this is where he's going. But if it brings a sword, that means that you're going to lead out with that sword. David is another one I like to look at. David is considered in the New Testament as a man after God's own heart. In the book of Acts, he's called a man after God's own heart. An amazing man. And we're going to talk about him in, in just a moment. John Maxwell said this. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. Now, he didn't capitalize the way, but he could have. Y'all get that? Because the way is Jesus Christ. And so a leader is one who, who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. Now, let's talk about that in context of being a father. If you're a father, the first thing you should know is you should know the way. That, and, and you may say, well, what is that way? <laughs> well, the way is the capitalized way. You should know Jesus Christ. He is our help. He's our hope. We've got to have not just a knowledge, but we need to know him, a relationship. This is why Jesus cuts it plain and dry here in Luke chapter 14. He's saying, hey, man, listen to me. Um, you're going to have to know that you're going to leave a lot of things to follow me. Nothing can be in front of me. You've got to know me. You've got to walk with me. And as we do that, then we go the way, and then we will show the way. Sometimes leaders are greater leaving things unsaid, but doing things that need to be done. Every leader does not have to speak. Every leader does not have to have words to say. They just have to know the way, go the way, and in doing so, they will show the way, right? I, I tell men this all the time. Let your kids see you read. They need to see you read. At home, don't be afraid to open the book, and when they come up to interrupt you, that's good, right? Turn, face them, take time with them. But if your kids see you read, this is what they know, especially reading the Word of God. They know that you, as a man are submitting your will, your ways, your thoughts, your direction to Jesus. 
And that's where you get your knowledge. That's where you get your strength from. I believe that's very, very important. See, our kids usually walk in and see what? Let's just be honest. Watching TV. Or in my case, if I sat down in my recliner, I said this Sunday, I said, you know, and, and, and God caused the sleep to fall upon the man. He just... He just put a right. He just put a recliner in the garden. I mean, that's all it takes for me. Just give me a recliner, and I'm usually out. So, so here's here's the thing. They need to see us do something other than just watch the TV. That's not good leadership. I, I can still remember. Uh, I can remember a couple of books that my dad. My dad really got into reading there for a season of my probably when I was about a sophomore through senior. Seemed like every time I would come in in the evenings, he was always reading another book. And I can remember him getting so tickled about, uh, he was reading a book by Bill Cosby, something about turning 50. And I guess my dad had just turned 50, and he, he just thought it was hilarious. He would read us little things out of that book, right? And I still remember that. Well, imagine what that is when that's the scriptures. See, we lead that way. He who knows the way goes the way and shows the way. The, the kids see that. It's important as we raise up a church and a generation that, that the next generation and the next generation knows that we are men who study, we are men who know Him, and in knowing Him, speaking of Jesus Christ, we will show Him to them. Peter Drucker says it this way. He talks about leadership, but he says management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. By the way, Peter Drucker is probably one of my favorite people to quote. I, he can put things into words that I'm thinking about and can't get them out there. But he, he is an incredible, uh, really, author. But this is what he says, management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. So he doesn't even talk about talking. He doesn't talk about speaking. He doesn't talk about all the things that you might know. What he says is, hey, just go out there and do, do things, right? Doing the right things. Sometimes we lead in the wrong ways. You ever led in the wrong way? Oh, I have. Man, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I've been angry at times. Um, now, I, I wouldn't cuss. Like, my kids haven't heard me cuss. I don't think they've ever heard me cuss. Uh, well, I'll say that. Uh, one time, Wade claims he did when I missed a turkey. Uh, but um, there was... Uh, yeah, and then uh, I can't remember if it was Bethany or Emma back here. I dropped my guitar once. Um, and, and, and even my wife, Allison, I'll tell you this as far as cussing. And, and you got to know that I can. I, I, I can. It's in my mind, right? And if I'm not careful, it's right of my heart. I mean, I was in the, the military. I learned how to do it and do it well. But, but there's, a, there's this part of me that's always fought against that temptation. Uh, the first time Allison ever heard me say a cuss word. We had been married, I think, let's see, how long we've we been married? 20 years, and we had just moved here, and that's been eight years ago. So we've been married 12 years. She had never heard me say a cuss word until I didn't know she was in there. But I was in the kitchen, and I dropped a big jar of honey on the floor. That makes a mess. And I said the S-H-I-T word. So uh, I asked, she goes, oh my gosh, and she was celebrating, you finally cussed, and I was like, oh, that's, you know, but it's not necessarily what we say, men, it's, it's more about what we do, you know, living a righteous life is learning how to lead, because men, the first thing we've got to learn to lead is ourselves, we've got to hold our tongues, 
As difficult as it is, we've got to hold in our anger. We've got to sometimes hold in our anxiety for this reason, because others are watching. And when we turn around, it's embarrassing when we do turn around and we see that some are following. And we've just done what? We've just let them down. You ever do that? It, it just makes you feel this tall. David, considered a man after God's own heart, when, when Samuel anointed David to be the next king, he was replacing King Saul, who was anything but humble. He became full of pride. You remember King Saul, he was a good-looking man. I mean, he stood head and shoulders above anyone else. He was a warrior. He was a great fight, fighter. He was probably muscular. He was probably six foot, six inches tall. He's, he was a Michael Jordan in his day. And when he walked in, everyone noticed him. And over the years, he became prideful. And James says this, James 4, 6, that he gives grace to the humble, right? But, but pride comes before what? The fall. And James talks about that pride. And, and people who are, are full of pride resist God. And eventually he came to a place where he resisted God because he saw himself as such a great leader, a great warrior, and there was no humility. Men, the first key to leading yourself is being humble. Prideful people refuse to, to learn. Prideful people refuse to learn. You know why? Because they already know it. You been around that guy? I'm, I'm just saying, right? And, and, and that's hard for preachers. It's funny because when I sit down with other preachers, it's just a bunch of know-it-alls trying to tell the other know-it-all how to know-it-all. <laughs> it, there, there, there's no humility. You know, I, I mean, you, you mention the title of a book, and once you mention the title of the book, they tell you about the author. That's just kind of the way it is. And it's just gets to, and, and, and the truth is, if we're not careful, we'll all become this guy that looks like Saul. Yeah, there's people that follow. You can turn around. There's people that, that uh, are, are close behind you and they're paying attention to everything you do. You know, they say about preachers that you live in glass houses. And we do need to watch ourselves. It becomes very dangerous. But to, to be humble is to be a learner. And to be a learner is to be humble. Always looking for someone to give you direction on how to live your life. That is a good leader. God says, do not look on his appearance or, or, or the height of his stature. He's, he's speaking here of David, because I, or he's speaking here of Saul, for I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. So we may not look like the Michael Jordans of this world. We may not be able to teach like like uh, all the great teachers that we have among us today. You know, we live in a superstar culture. It's, it's uh, even yesterday I was looking at, I had three texts from three different people uh, quoting these preachers, Stephen Furtick on TV and uh, uh, T.D. Jakes and all these guys, you know, and I'm like, well, geez, if you're watching those guys, why would you come to church on Sunday? I'm, you know, Jimmy Evans or whoever it is right here. I, I'm not those guys. They're incredible speakers, gifted teachers. But here's what the Lord looks at. For all of us, He looks at a man's heart. The outward appearance, it's, it's, it's drifting away anyway. But God looks on the heart. God chose the least likely in the eyes of man because He looked at David's heart. 
and not his outward appearance. You remember he was, the scripture says this, that David was Rudy in appearance, so he was pretty rough. He was a kid. Um, when Jesse brought his sons before Samuel to have them anointed, he knew one of them was going to be anointed as king. And, and so here's Jesse, and all these sons keep going by in front. Seven of them keep going by, and he says, are these all your sons? He said, well, I have one more, but he's a shepherd boy. He's out in the field. And this is interesting, because then when David comes in, Samuel goes, oh, that's him. And he takes his horn of oil, and he pours it all on David. And, and, and his brothers didn't believe it. No one believed it except for David. David knew who he was inside. You know what David said? He said, well, I've killed a bear and a lion. Not a lot of teenage boys have done that. I watched a show last night with Emma and Hadley about a man who got attacked by a bear. He didn't win. He shot it. Big deal. Hit it. I want to see somebody kill one with slingshot. All right, then you're a man. Anyway, I'm just saying, I'll follow that guy. <laughs> so, so that's what God was looking at. He was looking at David's heart and David's willingness to just say, yes, we know that a boy cannot kill a bear. A boy cannot kill a lion. That, that's not feasible. But a boy who humbles himself and is empowered by God, that's different because he's a man. And see, that's part of us growing up as leaders, as healthy men who lead well. There'll be men who humble themselves and are empowered by God himself. Don't be afraid to ask when you don't know. You can ask one another, but first ask the Lord. Lord, what do I need to do? How do I need to see this in my own life to lead them? What would that look like? Healthy men understand they're called to lead. David, even out in the field and outside of Bethlehem, it's interesting to me that he already knew that he was a leader. Yeah, I've got these sheep out here and everything else. He probably looked forward to a lion coming because what that gave him an opportunity to have some excitement in the day. See, to be a leader, we must first be able to lead ourselves. And we lead ourselves by first being humble. Humility is huge before God. I say this every now and then. I, 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 I don't know where this came, where I, I read this or if I came up with it, but I, I said put some humility on because it's the fragrance that attracts God. God loves humble people. Before David was chosen by Samuel, David had already killed, like I said, a lion and a bear. He led himself. God has given every man an innate sense to lead. If you are a man... I want you to hear something. God intends for you to lead. Now, it may not be thousands. Uh, I, uh, I had a man uh, I met with yesterday who was talking to me about planting a church, kind of feeling led that he may want to go plant a church. But he said, Curtis, you know, here's my problem. I'm really strong in this area, but I'm very, very weak in this area. And you know what I told him? Your weakness is where you're going to be strong because that's what the Scripture says. Where you're weak is where you'll be strong. So stay humble. And I said, I'm going to tell you something. You know what? Uh, had I stayed in the military, there's a lot of times I think, what rank would I be today? I don't know really what that looks like. You know, but, but I, I, I tend to go back. I, the Army came back and, and tried to get me to, to rejoin back in 2002, uh, just after 9-11. And they actually came to my office two different times, uh, two and three recruiters at a time. And when they set sat behind the desk, this is what I told him. I said, all right, here's the deal. I'll go to OCS this summer, but when I graduate OCS, this is what I want. I want you to commission me as a captain. If you'll do that, 
I'll sign your paper today. I'd love to go back in. I was, a, I was already a pastor. I was pastoring in Happy, Texas. And they were sitting in my office in Happy, Texas. <laughs> my wife wasn't happy with me in Happy, Texas at that time. But I said, if you'll, because here's the deal. My friends who stayed in were, uh, by this time, captains. And I said, so I, 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 want, I don't want to lose any time. If I'm going to go back in, if I'm going to make this sacrifice, this is the sacrifice you'll make on behalf of me. And they didn't do it. <laughs> they came back and said, we will make you a first lieutenant instead of a second lieutenant. In your orders, six months from then, you'll be commissioned as a captain. I said, no, upon graduation of OCS, I'll be commissioned a captain. It's the only way I'll come back. So I threw my fleece out, right? What does that have to do with anything? Because uh, we're, we're called to be leaders of men. How many men? I don't know what that looks like. I told this man yesterday, I said, here's what you need to do. You first need to form your squad. That's the first thing. You want to lead your squad because the squad will recognize your weaknesses. And sw squad's comprised of, of about six, six men to uh, eight men right in there somewhere. But it's, it's a smaller team of men. And here's the cool thing about having a smaller team of men. You have the opportunity. So you're kind of sitting with your small teams right now, but you have the opportunity to discuss, to learn from one another. And if you can lead that, if you can get that, some, some of you, it may just be three, but if you can lead one another, and most importantly, get yourself to a place where you can lead yourself, then you'll have the squad. Once you get beyond the squad, then, then maybe you can move on towards the platoon. You know, there's four squads in a platoon. Maybe you can move on and do that. Maybe eventually you can lead a company of men, 120 men. What a wonderful thing to be able to do down the road. Uh, you don't know that, and that may be over a lifetime. I don't know what it looks like for you, but all of us have an innate sense. If we are a man, we are called to lead. We are to lead our wives. We're to lead our children. We're to lead those around us. Now, we don't, like I said, always do that through words. A lot of times, it's the quietest man that's impacted my life the most. My papa didn't say a whole lot of words, but he kept the Bible on the dash of his pickup. And when we would go out to his farm, he'd be changing water, and he'd be waiting on the water to come out. He wouldn't say anything to me. He's just a very, very quiet man. He'd just pull his Bible out and start reading his Bible. I think of my papa a lot today. He was showing me the important things. David didn't always do things right. But he did attempt to do the right things. <laughs> the scripture says this. He, speaking of us men, must be one who manages himself and his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So men, your household today may just be one of you. It's okay. You know, it doesn't scare me to, to uh, you know, I, I told Allison years ago, I said, look, when I get old and decrepit, which is coming fast, I said, put me in a nursing home. Don't even worry about me. You go on. Now, you can't remarry till I'm gone, right? But it doesn't scare me to, to, to be by myself or to be in that, in that room by myself. I, I, I feel like life is, has taken me through several times I've been by myself or the bunk was the only area I had in life I, I get that now I hope that doesn't happen to me I'm not saying I just don't want to slow anyone down from their purpose I want to be a person that speeds people up in their purpose right and and so here's the thing your household may just be your bunk it may just be your bed right now it may just be your little place but there's something for you to lead there and that something is you get it right 
humble yourself before the Lord and learn to lead yourself. It may be leading yourself out of bed. You know, it drives me crazy. My, my kids, this is what they wound up with Saturday. Their mother goes in their room about 8.30 and she says, all right, I want everybody to get up. Y'all got things to do. And she was going to clean houses that day. So she was about to leave. This was Saturday. So she gets up, she, you know, and I hear in there, I'm, I'm working on my message back in my office. But if, you're, if you've ever been to my house, my office is in, in the very, very front. And I hear her going, get them up. Then I go outside and I start the weed eater and I start weed eating around and I come in about an hour later, hour and a half, actually it was 9.30 and guess what? I still got kids in bed. That don't work. So they all got up and by the time I had them outside, two of them had hose in their hands, the other one had a shovel. And then the fourth one, which was my son, he had the weed eater. And I thought, you know what, today is a weed-eating day. And so at 1 o'clock, they all come and find me, and they've all kind of rallied together. They've been thinking this through. And they said, Dad, we're hungry, we need lunch. And I said, well, you didn't eat breakfast till almost 10 o'clock. So i tell you what we'll do. At 5 o'clock, y'all can be done today. How does that sound? Oh, it was hot. You know, they were miserable. Dad, you can't do that. A couple of them want to go inside and get a drink. And I said, no, I will swat your bottom if you step in that house. You're going to get a drink out of water hose. That's how we used to do it. Let me show y'all how to do this. Come here. Let me show y'all. Turn on right here. Oh, that water tastes good. You spray each other with it and cool off. Anyway, they learned a new thing, right? Because here's the thing. Laying in bed, sometimes we've got to lead ourselves. And the first thing we lead ourselves with is getting out of bed. Getting up. Do that. Start somewhere. And at that time, maybe crack the Bible open, read a few scriptures, and, and get yourself cranked up for the morning. Don't be afraid to pray in the morning. I'll talk more about that because that brings me to my next point, which is the disciple. We just read a scripture about a disciple. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here in Luke chapter 14. He says, hey, this is the cost of a disciple. It's going to cost you something. It may cost you some, some time in bed. It may cost you uh, uh, some, some cause you some pain at times. But here's the mark of a disciple. Disciples willing to follow me. The, the word disciple, which, guys, by the way, this, this is all we're covering today, leadership and discipleship. But the word disciple means this. It means one who accept, accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. In order to be a disciple or lead others to become one, we must know who that one is. We've got to spend time. If I'm a disciple of my dad, uh, I pick up his, his great attributes. And the way I learn that's by being around him, by walking with him, by looking at his ways. And the way we do this with Jesus is we have to study his word. We need to know his word. It's amazing to me how few go to God's word to learn how to be discipled. There's answers for every problem, answers to every questions in his word. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all the nations. Well, we want to make disciples of Jesus. We don't need to make disciples of ourselves. So, so what we do, we lead people. Yeah, the apostle Paul says, uh, follow me as I follow Christ, because he's not going to turn to the left or the right. He's going to continue to move forward. And it's the same. A disciple, this is what he does. He walks with someone. He's discipled. He's an apprentice until he can carry on those doctrines. It takes time. The other word that you see in disciple is what? Discipline. Now, discipline comes at us two ways. 
an earthly father who loves his children will admonish, will lift, will encourage like we talked about last week and will discipline them in love for their own good. So when you see disciple, let me just say, God, the scripture says it in Hebrews that God disciplines those whom he loves. So in the word disciple, you're going to see discipline. All right, and discipline becomes very important for a disciple because a disciple eventually has to discipline themselves to carry on the virtues, the values, and the doctrines of Jesus Christ. It takes discipline to do that. You won't always want to do that. Come on, man. You know, you don't always want to do that. Sometimes you're like, well, Jesus didn't just have this happen, right? Jesus wasn't married. He wasn't married to my wife. My goodness, how can you decide? Anyway, right, sometimes, sometimes we come up with those excuses and we're looking for those excuses, but the, the word discipline becomes very important. Dealing with attitudes is more important than dealing with actions. See, with my kids, uh, I look for the attitude more than the action. Okay, if one of them, and, and they I will tell you, my kids don't do this. They, they don't hit each other. They don't fight that way. Now, they wrestle and they pillow fight and all that, but we don't let them hit each other. But if they did, because growing up, I did. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, if they did, I look at the action, but then I go back and say, what caused the action? What, what's wrong in your heart? What, what do we have to deal with? Because there's an attitude there that's coming out. If they backtalk their mother, if they raise their voice in, in, in our house, if you walk into our house, Allison's written a sign that's up on the wall and it says, do not yell unless there's a fire. Britch, you've seen it several times, right? So do not yell unless there's a fire. So if yelling's taking place, guess what? Daddy's going to start a fire, right? There's going to be some discipline taking, taking place. Here's why. Because I want to deal with those attitudes that, you know, I was thinking of how I don't have to discipline my children near as much today as I did two years ago. It's amazing. Now, I'm, they're not raised. <laughs> there may be seasons. I may be in a good season right now. But the purpose of discipline is not the venting of anger or the relieving of our feelings or frustrations. We do it for their sake so that they learn to hear God. I've never been a counter. I'm not one of those say, oh, by the time I count to three, you better have this done. One, two, three. I don't do that. I don't do that. Why? Because why? I said it the first time, right? The morning when I went in, Allison said it. They're, gonna, they're going to, to listen. You know what their excuse was? We didn't hear her. But what's their excuse going to be with God one day? I didn't hear him. See, when we teach our kill, children to, to listen the first time, God doesn't always count to three. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so we're the first voice of God in their life. And so teach them that way. And it takes discipline for them to discipline their, their ears to hear and respect authority in that way. See, Eli failed to, to rebuke his sons. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 3, he says this, for I, this is God speaking, for I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke or discipline them it doesn't mean to beat them their discipline the other day was not a spanking or anything like that you know what it was it was just simply putting a hoe in their hands and putting a shovel in their hands and saying come on let's go dig a hole one of you start on that side and the other on this side and we just see if you can make a trench and when you get together then the one of you with a shovel go cover it all back up 
<laughs> Just kidding. I, I was not that mean, all right? We had weeds and we had work to do anyway. So here's the thing. The third thing. So out of the word disciple, we get discipler, okay? To be a discipler, we have to lead ourselves. We get discipline, all right? Meaning that God will discipline those whom he loves. Sometimes the parameters get get narrowed on us as well right just to keep us focused and then we discipline those who who we're responsible for but then the most important one to discipline just as you is the most important one is to lead the most important one to discipline is yourself all right first timothy 4 7 8 have nothing to do with old wives tales. I, I think it's funny that he starts off this way he says hey have nothing to do with old wives tales He's saying, hey, all the gossip, all the words that are spoken, all that stuff out there, it doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. Don't have anything to do with that. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable in all things because it holds the hope for the present life and also the life to come. So when he says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, there's a couple of disciplines he jumps into. He said there's one that's bodily discipline. Now, how would bodily discipline be defined scripturally? Going a little over my time, I apologize. How, what would that look like uh, for the Apostle Paul? Bodily discipline, he said, I buffet my body. Now, I don't know if that means he worked out or he fasted a lot. I do know he fasted a lot, all right? So he was disciplining himself. In order for whatever comes, he's going to have that discipline. And he says, guys, your bodily discipline is of little profit. We've got to discipline our eyes, what they look at. We've got to discipline our hands and what they touch. We've got to discipline ourselves in the way we walk and the way we act and the words we say. All those have to be forms of discipline. Any of us can give a tongue lashing. We're all capable, men. We're all capable of using language we shouldn't use, right? We have to discipline. And he says, look, your bodily discipline, there is profit there. It's a little profit, but then he goes on to say this, watch. He says, uh, bodily disciplines, but godliness, when you discipline yourself for the things and in the things of God, it's far more profitable. Here's why, because a humble person will discipline themselves for what? To hear the voice of God. That's a disciple. And it takes discipline to do that. And that discipline leads you on to a place of godliness. And godliness is profitable in all things since it holds the promise for the present life. For this life, it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to benefit you and for the life to come. It's amazing to me how many people say, man, I just hope when heaven gets here, when I, when I die, I, I slide in some way. And, and here's the deal. No, God wants you to be godly here because it will profit your life right here today in the now. You will be profitable not necessarily financially but in 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 so many great ways to lead others spiritually men you are a man you are a leader i just want you to hear that you are a man there is an innate sense in you that is called to lead and it starts by leading yourself and it's going to take discipline and a disciplined person they make the best soldiers they make the best disciples that's just the way it works. They say it takes 21 days for a discipline to become a habit. So what are you willing to start today so that one day it'll be a habit? 
See, I was in a good habit about three years ago. I was lifting every morning, working out, you know, 4.30, headed to the gym, all this good stuff. But then uh, I broke the 21-day rule. <laughs> I went 21 days just eating chicken fried steaks and uh, <laughs> lost that discipline, took on another one, right? And it shows. But spiritual disciplines are, fall right in line with this. Scripture, prayer, fasting, journaling, all those are very, very important. Discipline is the bridge between goals and accomplishment. It is the bridge. People who are successful usually have disciplined themselves, not just to write down their goals, but discipline themselves to obtain their goals. It's the, it's the difference between what you want now and what you want the most. That's discipline. right? Burn Phillips said this, self-discipline is the only discipline that lasts. And in some, in some aspects, he's right. Because in the end, how we've disciplined ourselves, discipled ourselves in the Word of God is going to be the most important thing, the most important treasure that we either leave here or we take with us. And it's supposed to be both and. See, when, when, when you go into heaven, men, I just want you to hear this, it's not just for you. There's going to be a reward, and those rewards are those followers who have seen your great attributes and what you've laid as a great foundation, a great road for them to follow. Those are called fathers of the church or church fathers. Lord, I pray that you raise us all up to be those fathers, those men. In Jesus' name, amen.